0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. There she is. Uh, This morning we're going to be in... uh, Courtney, I was just saying how much uh, I'm I'm liking the picture of the Thanksgiving meal that you're going to have at your house. But anyway, okay. Uh, we're going to be in John 14 uh, this morning, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, I'd encourage you to grab one of the ones in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible as a gift to you from Jacobswell Church. Um, just a, a, maybe a brief n- note, side note, that doesn't have to do with this. Um, I uh, just want to say thanks to those folks who came out last night to support uh, Ron Young. who We had a debate here, and uh, it was very lively. Uh, it was packed in here, um, and I would say maybe 25% uh, was folks from our church or our community here, uh, but thanks to Ron. Uh, I think Ron handled himself with grace and with truth, and, and I'm thankful that he represented uh, the scriptures well and, and why we like to celebrate the birth and and resurrection of Christ uh, throughout the year. So thanks, Ron, and thanks for all those who came. Um, this morning, we're going to be uh, in three verses. And, um, and it's in the middle of Jesus' farewell discourse. And, and so just to kind of get our bearings here before we read the text. Um, the, Jesus says that we've had the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus has sent Judas out. And uh, now... He is, it's before his betrayal, and he's having this moment, you might say, or moments with the disciples in what we call the farewell discourse, where he is imparting to them encouragements and truths about himself, about what's about to happen, about them. We see him foretell te- uh, for, for of uh, Peter's denial and, and really how all of them, that one of the other gospels that says, all of them are going to fall away, all the disciples. Uh, He says things like, let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And of course, Thomas says, where are you going? Uh, And I don't know how to get there. (laughs) And then Jesus says the wonderful words in verse 6 of chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip, it's sort of like go around, the disciples go around and, and show their ignorance. Then Philip says, well, show us the Father. If no one comes to the Father except for you. Well, show us the Father. It's good enough for us. And then Jesus begins answering that question, which we, we talked about last week. Pastor Dan talked about that, uh, the, the knowing and seeing and believing. And when you know and see and believe in Jesus, you are seeing the Father. It's amazing if you go back to John 1, at the very beginning, John is writing, and he's in this prologue, and he says these words about Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, from Christ's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. That is Jesus. He has made him known. So we are here to continue seeing how Jesus is making the Father known. He's answered that question in part to Philip. He calls Philip to believe in us in verse 11. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Meaning, if if you can't believe the words I'm speaking, at least look to all the things I'm doing. And then we come to our text. John 14, 12 to 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, I come to you uh, in some trepidation with these words, Lord. Uh, You know that I have wrestled all week long, even up into the middle of the night last night, wanting to be faithful to your words. Lord, it's only by your Spirit. That we can understand. And so I pray. As you've just promised. I pray now Jesus. Would you help us to understand this? Would you help us to have clarity? Would you help me to have clarity? Would you grant us. Eyes to see. And ears to hear Lord. And hearts that are willing to obey. And minds that can understand and perceive, Lord. So that we might see the Father and see Christ full of grace and truth. In the name, the only name by which we can pray and come to you. The name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And for the glory of his kingdom. Amen. When I was uh, in high school, a friend... Moved into town, and the friend was from Wisconsin. And uh, he spoke a little funny. I grew up in St. Louis. You probably think I speak funny. And uh, my friend talked a lot about sports, and in particular the Packers and the Badgers. They had Badgers stuff everywhere. And I heard all about the greatness of the Packers, the greatness of the Packers. Uh, A few years later, quite a few years later, I was serving as a youth pastor in a church and there was this, and this was in southern Illinois, there was this young man who walked in wearing this Packers jacket, he wore it everywhere, just Packers cap, Packers jacket and, and again I heard about the greatness of the Packers from this young man. About a year, or maybe, maybe a year, year and a half, year and three quarters ago, I, uh, I came up to Green Bay with my family and, and visited with Pastor Dan and, and his family and the elders here as we we're talking about moving up here. And we got this gift basket from Angie. And in there, we just had, we had a five-week-old baby. And in there was a bib. It was a Packers bib. <laughs> and I got a cheese head. The greatness of The Packers. And we move up to Wisconsin, and here we are. I hear about it. I, I go to restaurants, and, and I hear about the greatness of the Packers. I go, I go out to the mall, and I hear about the greatness of the pack, Packers. Now, here's the thing, guys. I, I didn't grow up here, so, so I don't mean to offend. But I'm not seeing, my personal experience is not matching up <laughs> to the greatness of the Packers that I've been hearing about for 25 years. My personal experience doesn't seem to match what everybody says about the Packers. Maybe your experience is different. You see, there there are times when, when as a Christian, our experience doesn't seem to match what Jesus is saying. When's the last time any of us in here have instantly healed someone in a moment? When's the last time that you remember that Jesus always does whatever you ask. He doesn't always do whatever I ask him. So as I read this, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of forced to ask some questions. Maybe I don't have enough faith. There are some in, in our country, sadly, who would say that that's, that's the problem. Here's a quote from some, someone. I'm not going to say who this quote's from. But the quote says, Miracles and the working of miracles are part of, a li- of living a spirit-filled, spirit-directed life. If you are willing to be used by God in this way and obedient to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, then miracles are not only possible but probable. And this is talking about physical miracles. I don't know if I have enough faith for that. But yet I'm reminded when Paul tells Timothy, if we are faithless... He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So maybe it's not about whether I have enough faith or not. Maybe it's about Jesus. Maybe, maybe he doesn't really mean this. Maybe he's speaking in grand hyperbole. Whatever you ask, I'll do it. But this would suggest that God's word isn't reliable, right? Right? Doesn't Jesus say in John 10, 35 that scripture cannot be broken? Doesn't Hebrews 6, 18 say that it's impossible for God to lie? So that, that won't do. So where does that leave us? I think it leaves us with a third option. There's always a third option, isn't there? An option that doesn't have to do with the measure of my faith or your faith. Or an option that leads us to question The the truthfulness or the veracity of Jesus' words. Is it possible that we, like the disciples, have misunderstood what Jesus is saying? I mean, most of John 14 is all about Jesus trying to clear up misunderstandings. In fact, a lot of the Gospel of John is Jesus trying to clear up misunderstandings with his disciples. Is it also possible that we just might underestimate what is true of those of us who trust in and follow Jesus? Could it be that we underestimate Jesus' promise? Could it be that that our trouble with these verses is that we don't value ourselves and our position in Christ as much as he does? Could it be possible that we have distracted ourselves so much with the lesser things and lesser pleasures of this world and even have become accustomed to them that the thought of doing greater things than Jesus seems absurd? And yet, what does Jesus say? Those who trust, who believe, will do. Not might do, not maybe will do, not possibly. He says, will do greater works than I do. So what does this mean? And how is it possible? So we're going to look at, you can see the headings in your bulletin. So let's talk about these greater things for a few moments. The things that are greater. Jesus calls his disciples to faith. And he says in verse 12, he makes this astonishing promise. Truly, truly, or most assuredly, I say to you, or verily, verily, or amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. I I translated this myself because I really wanted to get this right. And the translation says something like, and he will do the works I do and also greater things. That's literally what it says. Because I am going to the Father. I have a one-year-old daughter. You've probably heard me talk about her. She is the second most precious girl in my life. My wife being the first. There's something my daughter loves to do. She loves to color. Loves to color. She loves to go anywhere to get the coloring utensils also. She's a climber. The other day I had to pull her off of my son's desk. She climbed on a chair. She's one. Climbed on a chair, climbed up on the desk, and was going across the desk to get to this ledge to get markers. One-year-old and markers, not a great idea. So here's the thing about my daughter's coloring. She is one. And she colors like a one-year-old. It's messy. It's, it's, it's not on the page all the time. It's really on herself. You get, you get the picture. Pun not intended, I guess. Now imagine, imagine this. If Leonardo da Vinci says to my one-year-old daughter, Hope, that's my daughter's name, Hope, do you believe that I'm a painter who has painted great works, works that have been received by many as wonderful? She's, I mean, she, she can't really talk yet, but she'll be like, sure. Good. Then starting right now, your coloring works are going to be even greater than mine. Your scribbles are greater than mine. This sounds a little nuts, doesn't it? It sounds a little crazy to think that, that my daughter's scribbles are greater than the Mona Lisa. But there's a sense in which this is kind of like what Jesus is saying to the disciples. In fact, anyone who believes. Now let's think about Jesus' works for a few minutes. He's got quite a resume. He, he makes lame men walk. He gives sight to the blind. He feeds 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish in an instant. He walks on water. He calms storms by only saying, calm down. And, he, and let's not forget, he raises people from the dead. Lazarus, who's in the tomb four days, Is Jesus really saying that anyone who believes in him will do greater things than this? That's what my text says. How can it be? How can we do greater things than the miracles, the supernatural miracles of Christ? You see, friends, the answer is miracles are good, but there's something better. Miracles are are, are great, but there's something better. There's a greater work that Jesus does and a greater work that he calls us to. Let's go for a minute to Luke 5. And there's the story of the paralytic. And here it's one of those days it says in verse 17 he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there so you know he's got you know he's got a hostile crowd. They'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Kind of interesting. That's a whole other sermon right there. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but they didn't find a way. And you know how it goes. They go up on the roof. They're, they're persistent. They dig out the, the, the roof. They pull it back, the thatches and whatever, the roof was made out. And they lower the man down right before Jesus. What's the very first thing Jesus says to this paralytic man on the mat? You know the story. Man Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, get up and walk. He doesn't say, wow, you've come a great way. Let's get you off of that mat. No, he says, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't even give an indication to the guy that he's going to heal him physically. He says, your sins are forgiven. Of course, this this doesn't please the scribes and the Pharisees. They begin to question Jesus and they said, who is this? Who speaks these blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now this goes back to the Old Testament, which we're told, like in Micah and other places, that only God can forgive sins. Only the Holy One can forgive those who have sinned against him. So if Jesus is saying this, he's either blaspheming God or he's making a different claim. Jesus perceived their thoughts and he answers them. This is verse 22. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose. Picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Don't forget that last part. So which is the greater work here, friends? All of us sit here and go, well, I mean, I can't heal anybody. So forgiving sin seems to be the, the, the easier thing, right? That's, that's easier. I can't, for, I can't heal someone. I can't get, make someone walk, but I can forgive. Is that what Jesus says, though? Is that the easier thing? See, according to the Bible, the reason God can only forgive sin is that forgiveness of sin requires bloodshed. It requires that each person must pay the penalty for their sin with their life. Meaning eternal death and damnation is the penalty for sin. And so, when Jesus tells the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven, he is in effect saying, you don't owe God the sacrifice of your life. Instead, I will sacrifice my life for you. Now consider Jesus' question again, which is easier? Physical healing or forgiveness of sins that comes at the cost of his own life. See, the, the truth is, the work Jesus came to do is not, not, not primarily or, or, or only to perform miracles. Those are good, but there's something better. The miracles, in fact, serve to prove that God that he, Jesus, is God, and he has the authority to forgive sins. They are signs. That's what John calls them all throughout the gospel signs pointing to something greater. What is that greater thing? We'll go back to John, John 5. We're doing a little Bible calisthenics this morning. Jesus, in fact, you know the great thing about Scripture is Scripture interprets Scripture. Did you know that? It's the great thing about Scripture. It interprets itself. It's wonderful. And in fact, in John 5, Jesus actually tells us what the greater works are. Answer key. He's healed the, the, the invalid man by the pool at Bethesda. Remember the guy, every time the water stirred, he couldn't get down to the water. And Jesus finds him there and, and says, do you want to be healed? I love that. You want to be healed? Okay. Okay. After he heals the man, they get on to it's the Sabbath, and they don't, the Pharisees don't like that. They get on to him, they plot to kill him, so forth and so on. And then Jesus says, verse 17, chapter 5, My father is working until now, and I'm working. Sorry, I got to work on the Sabbath. If you call me healing someone like this, working, I got to do it. Then they, it says in verse 18, they, they start seeking to kill him all the more. I'm not sure, like, how did they ratchet up their, I mean, we we're already trying to kill you, now we're going to kill you all the more. I'm not sure, I mean, it, anyway, maybe they just got more anxious. Because he's calling himself God. He's making this claim that he is equal with God. And so Jesus answers them in verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, listen up. That's, what, that's our indication, listen up. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So he heals on the Sabbath because the father says, heal on the Sabbath. Work, do this work that I've given you on the Sabbath, on this day. In fact, do it every day. Verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these. Does that sound familiar? Greater works than healing and physical miracles and, and uh, giving sight to the blind and healing lame, than that I'm going to show you. So that you may Marvel. What are these greater works? Verse 21. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Friends, the greater work is the resurrection of dead people. Spiritually dead people. That's the great work that Jesus speaks of. It's greater than giving physical healing to a layman. It's greater than, than raising Lazarus from the dead. Because by giving spiritual healing, resurrection life... To someone who is dead in their trespasses. They are saved from eternal damnation. J.C. Ryle comments and he says this. He says, there is no greater work possible than the conversion of a soul. We'll go back to John 14. Let's consider what Jesus is saying. Through this lens. That the greater work is the life-giving work that God does in the hearts of men and women. He's calling us to be about that work. Greater works will you do. See, the promise here isn't merely that we're going to go out and attempt to proclaim the gospel, attempt to proclaim the life-giving, transforming power that we find in Jesus. No, that the greater work is that when we tell others, they will be changed. He says, you will do greater works. When believers tell others about the life-giving, transforming power of Jesus, lives will change. The lost will be found. The spiritually dead will be raised to life. Unbelievers will believe and souls will be converted. Friends, do you believe that this is part of your greater work? To proclaim the gospel in, in, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, in your community, at your workplace. And no. God will do the work in the person's heart. He says so. There's a whole lot of questions that come up there. We don't have time for that. But he promises, be about this greater work, and I will do the conversion. How is it made possible? It's made possible, Jesus says, because I'm going to the Father. Because I'm going to the Father. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to sacrifice myself I'm going to take the punishment of of my people uh, upon me. I'm going to rise from the dead and conquer death, breaking the power of of sin and and death. And then I'm going to be exalted and rise and ascend into heaven and, and sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where I'm going to make intercession for you. I'm going to pray for you. Do you know Jesus is praying for you right now for this greater work that you're going to do? Did you know that? He's praying for you right now. For the greater work that He's called us to, kind of makes you think. Why am I sitting on my hands so much? Think about this too. After Jesus goes to the Father, something else happens. There's, there's a, in a sense, there's there's. I love John. He's got all these layers of of like depths of. You, it's like you get the meaning, and then you go a little deeper. Here you have this greater work of the transforming of, of souls that, that he calls us to. And then what do we see happen? Jesus ascends into heaven, Acts. You remember what happens in Acts 2? Literal fulfillment of this in one day. More souls were converted on the, the day of Pentecost when Peter is preaching about Jesus than the entire ministry of Jesus when he was on earth. Think about that for a second. 3,000 ratted to their number. Jesus didn't physically reach that many people while he was on earth. Now think about where you are right now. We're in Green Bay, Wisconsin in 2018. Almost 2,000 years after these events have taken place, millions upon millions upon millions of people like you and me have heard the gospel and have been changed by it. Because of someone who told us. Someone who was about the greater work. And guess what? Jesus did it. Consider also beyond conversion of souls, the transformation that the impact of Christianity has had on societies. R.C. Sproul uh, spoke to this. He said once, if you look at the record, you will see That it was the Christian church that spearheaded the abolition of slavery, the end of the Roman arena, the whole concept of education, the concept of charitable hospitals and orphanages, and a host of other humanitarian activities. Because of Christians, greater things than these will you do because I go to the Father. And in a little while, as we continue in John, we're gonna even see that because Jesus goes to the Father, he sends us a helper. And he can't send the helper to us unless he goes to the Father. So how are we going to do these greater things? Well, let's keep reading. How are we going to do these great things? Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I was reminded last night, I was talking with, with, uh, with someone in, about this passage, and they were saying, you know, you remember that movie uh, with, with uh, I think, I think, is it Adam Sandler, Bedtime Stories? You know, and he's like, he just reads the story and it all starts happening. Once upon a time, you know, we we're, we're talking about that, weren't you, we, Ron? You know, it just starts, he just starts saying these things and they just start happening. Friends, that is not what Jesus is talking about. The context is helpful here. I mean, these verses follow right after verse 12. It's not an accident that they follow right after verse 12. It's not an accident uh, that that they're exactly where they're at. In fact, Jesus keeps coming back to the same thing over and over again. In fact, there's seven times, would you believe that in John's gospel, seven times he uses the phrase, in my name. Do this in my name. And it's all going to happen in these next uh, couple chapters here. See, Jesus is not saying that that anything you you name and claim will be done for you. And friends, I've got to warn you, anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. Or they're, they're just plain not paying attention to the whole of Scripture. Jesus qualifies this statement, and he says, Whatever you ask in my name, in my name. Uh, Pastor Dan mentioned a little bit ago about this, this concert we're going to do. And um, it's a concert that my family and I, we, we, Andrew Peterson has been doing this for tw- almost 20 years. And um, my family and I have gone, we've been to, I think, about three of the shows through the years. And we, we love it. In part, we love the music. But we also have a friend who's in Andrew's band, uh, someone who we went to college with. Um, and his name's Ben Shive. Ben, if you ever hear this, I'm talking about you. Went to college with Ben. And, uh, and one day I was, we were texting or emailing, and he said, hey, you guys going to be able to come to the concert? We're like, I don't know, you know, it, we don't have tickets. And I think we were probably in seminary and poor. And he's like, I can get you tickets. I can get you tickets. We were like, great. He said, just tell them when you get there, just say your name and say Ben Shive. I said, okay. So we go to the counter, and we say, we'd like our tickets. Ben Shive. The name of Ben Shive, give us our tickets. And guess what? We were given the tickets. The name and character and person of Ben is the one who assured the request that we asked for. Now imagine if I, after the concert I went to the movie theater down because I needed some more you know entertainment and my wife and I weren't tired and we go to the movie theater, we go to the ticket window and we say, two tickets please, we know Ben Shive. They're not, they don't care less. They don't know Ben. Or well, imagine if I went down to the car dealership at, later on. This is a long night. And I, and I said, hey, I'd like you to give me that brand new Ford F-150 with all the bells and whistles. I know Ben Shive. They're going to kick me out. Right? You see what I'm getting at? When when I requested the tickets for the concert on the basis of my friendship and the good name of Ben Shive, they gave me the tickets. Not because I asked just right or because I magically said, in the name of Ben Shive, but because Ben wanted me to have the tickets. It was his will and purpose to give us those seats at the concert, and it was at his expense. It wasn't Ben's will that I should have a new pickup truck. Go to the movies at his expense, no less. It seems silly to think like that. And yet, how often do we pray and think and just add in Jesus' name and think somehow God is obligated to answer our prayer? Tim Keller says this about praying in Jesus' name. He says, to pray in Jesus' name is not meant to be a magic formula as if the pronunciation of the words coerces God's power and mechanically taps it into supernatural forces. He says, Jesus' name is shorthand for his divine person and saving work. Or in another way, uh, another commentator says it like this, prayers in his name are prayers that are offered in thorough accord with all that his name stands for. And in recognition that the only approach to God is Jesus himself. Let me ask you, friends, when you pray and you say in Jesus' name or in your name, are you praying, offering that prayer in accord with all that his name stands for? Whatever you're saying in that prayer, are you saying, I'm doing this in accord with all that the name of Jesus stands for? In humbleness of heart, in dependence upon him, and in submission to his will? It's even how Jesus teaches us to pray. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can even see Jesus praying in the garden just before he's betrayed. In Luke 22, puts it like this. When Jesus prays, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Jesus is praying in his name right here, guys. And yet, he says, not my will, but your will be done. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray for his will to be done. Knowing, knowing this ought to give us caution before we thoughtlessly or selfishly ask God for anything. And yet, friends, this is not meant to scare you away from prayer. This is meant to drive you into deeper prayer, to deeper communion Because he does promise whatever you ask in my name in accord with who I am, I will do it. It means you might have to be patient. You might have to hear no. No, 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 a whole lot of no. It doesn't mean stop coming. Are you praying with this humble boldness? This is humble boldness right here. What's the point of all this? What's the point of all these promises? Think about the situation of the disciples for a minute. Jesus is about to leave them, they don't understand. He then says, You're all going to leave me, <laughs> you're all going to fall away. And it, it, the temptation facing the disciples is to think, Well, we can't, we're not going to be able to go on after you leave. We're not going to be able to to to, to do anything else after you leave. We're, we're done for. We left our boats. Here we are. And you're leaving us? Our Savior is kind. Our Savior is gracious. Our Savior is patient. And he makes promises here to the disciples and to us to help us. See, the, the first reason or the point of these is Jesus is thinking about our good and our encouragement. In fact, in John 16, verse 1, he actually says, I'm saying all these things to you to keep you from falling away. I'm saying this to bring you comfort and to empower and equip you to do gospel work. It is a greater thing that we are going to be separated in bodily form, and yet we're going to be united by my spirit. That's a greater thing, says Jesus. It's a greater thing that though we are going to be separated... You are enabled by my spirit to trust and serve me. It's a greater thing that we're going to have communion and fellowship together through prayer. It's a greater thing that though we're going to be separated in bodily form, we can see, you can see God at work in the world as you proclaim the gospel. That's a greater thing, says Jesus. It's a greater thing that Jesus answers our prayers. He doesn't, he's not obligated to answer our prayers, and he does. Hallelujah. Which leads me to the second and and, and, and far more important reason Jesus makes this promise. He says it in verse 13. This I will do that the Father may be glorified. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. On March 7th, 2012, 2012, my son Clay, who is two weeks old, was diagnosed with hydrocephalus it's this he had this excess cerebral spinal fluid on his brain and he had enlarged ventricles the next day actually yep the next day march 8th he successfully underwent brain surgery and a shunt was put into his body from that moment on my wife and i began to pray very specifically asking God to physically heal our son Clay on this side of eternity so that, so that God would be glorified. We specifically started praying that. I I went back and actually found some old emails. We asked some friends to join us in praying that. I sent an email out on, uh, I think it was March 10th. On June 25th, 2018, that's this year, we listed our house for sale. My wife and I began praying and asking God to sell it. My wife, who has far greater faith than I do, specifically asked God to sell it for a very specific amount of money. Five days later, we had accepted an offer on our house, and the offer was $900 over the specific amount my wife had asked God to give. On April 30th, 2015, God chose not to heal my son physically, but to call him home to glory. Why do I bring these up? In both cases, we are praying for God to be glorified. In both cases, praying in Jesus' name. In both cases, praying according to the character and will of Christ, asking God for something. Why did God choose to answer selling a house for a specific amount of money, a seemingly far less significant thing in my mind, and not answer the prayers that we had for the physical healing of our son, Clay? Did we do something wrong? Were we not praying with enough faith? We had more faith in selling our house than we did in the healing of our son? No. John 9, Jesus says this about a man who was born blind. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. You see, the reason God answered one prayer and not the other is because that most glorified God. That displayed God's greatness. That was the best thing for us as well. Not to mention my son now has healing that that I don't know. (laughs) I love the the hymn. And I'll close with this. I'm probably going long. The hymn, holy, holy, holy. I remember the, the morning after my son died. It came on, it was on the, the radio, or we had an iPad playing, so not like, not your regular radio. You don't hear these kind of great hymns on the radio, but the hymn came on, holy, holy, holy. And I remember staying there in the kitchen, not understanding, and hearing the words Then the fourth verse. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works, praise thy name, all of his works. And friends, that is greater. He does the work. And he calls us while it is day to be about his work, the work of his gospel and prayer. When you trust in Jesus and pray in his name, you will do greater things and God will be glorified. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your faithfulness to us your mercy and your mercies which are new every day i'm astonished help us help us to pray like you prayed help us to to see the greater things the, the, the conversion of souls the transformation of lives and 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 to know that that you are glorified in how you answer our prayers. And to be okay with that. We love you. And we praise you. And we pray in your name, Jesus. The name that saves us. The name by which all who call upon will be saved everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. We thank you for that, Lord. Amen. Amen.